Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, You are stirring up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's hearts through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. This is the word of the Lord. Well, recently I found myself in a conversation with someone about the war going on in Gaza. And this was in the early weeks of the conflict uh, We'd just seen Hamas invade Israel and and details were just emerging about uh, some of the atrocities that had been experienced there. At this stage, there were reports of even children being beheaded and I'm still not entirely sure how accurate those reports are, but that was what we were hearing. And so this person that I was speaking to, uh, they were expressing their total shock and, and disbelief that members of Hamas could be so wicked, so cruel, so barbaric. And she just couldn't comprehend how any human could have such disdain for another human. Now, I'm sure she wasn't alone in this, and I know that this particular act of evil is not the only thing in the world that some people struggle to comprehend. What is wrong with these people? How could they do that? We say this kind of thing all the time, don't we? 
how is it that Paul Tyson, an employee at a church school in Sydney, could attack and kill Lily James, a woman that he'd only been in a relationship with for a short time? How is it that Erin Patterson, that woman in regional Victoria, could allegedly murder her in-laws and their friends with a poisonous lunch? How is it that someone could deliberately light a bushfire that would go on to threaten properties and lives? What is wrong with these people? We're often stunned by the wickedness of others. We see people doing all kinds of wrong things and it seems fair for us to claim the moral high ground. We're not like them. They're different. We may not be perfect, but we'd certainly never do that. Well, friends, today in Romans 2, it's my hope that we'll see that we actually have more in common with them than we think. Now, if you've just joined us, we're working our way through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. And in this first section of the letter, he's wanting to show his readers that everyone needs the gospel. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, is the power of God which brings salvation. And salvation is precisely what we need. Because, as it stands, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. That's how Paul's began his letter. And so in the second half of chapter 1, which we've looked at over the last two weeks, Paul's been showing his readers why and how God's wrath is being revealed on unbelievers. And if you flick back and have a look, just skim through that second half of chapter 1, you'll notice that the people that Paul is talking about is always them. He's always got the non-Christian world in view. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's again and again, they, them, there. It's as if Paul is inviting the Christians in Rome to go on over to the windows and take a look and see them out there. Do you see them? Do you see how depraved they've become? Paul says they've become filled with every kind of wickedness. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they celebrate homosexuality, they approve of things that God says are wicked. And it's all because they've refused to acknowledge the God who made them. So far, Paul has been focused on them, how wicked they are, how angry God is at them, how down and down they go into an ever-deepening spiral of depravity. And just as his readers begin to nod their heads in agreement, you're right, Paul, they are wicked. God is right to punish them. Just as his readers shake their heads in disbelief at the sin of them out there, Paul turns to those inside the church and he says, Now you. 
Understand this. You are just as guilty of sin as they are. You are like them. Just as much facing God's wrath. Just as hopelessly in need of rescue. And so today in chapter 2, Paul turns his attention to the moral person. The person who knows they're not like the people of chapter 1. The person who doesn't celebrate homosexuality. The person who doesn't gossip or slander. Paul's speaking to the person who is shocked by the cruelty of Hamas. The person who would never, even in their worst moments, conceive of killing someone. Which means, friends, Paul is addressing people who are just like you and me. And his message to people like us, people inside the church, people who might shake their heads in disbelief at the sin of the world, his message to people like us is that even you, are facing the wrath of God. Paul begins in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Paul's target here is the person who passes judgment on someone else. Not not just the person who notices sin in other people, but but condemns them for it. But at the very moment at which they condemn others, Paul says in actual fact they are condemning themselves because they do the same things. These are people who like noticing specks in the eyes of others while ignoring planks in their own. Now, in contrast to the people of chapter 1, verse 32, who do the wrong thing and approve of other people doing the wrong thing, these people also do the wrong thing, but they condemn others who are just like them. They're hypocrites. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we can see the ways that we're quick to notice the sin of others while being slow to see when we do the same. You've seen that in your own heart, haven't you? That's not surprising, but what is surprising here is that Paul can say that the moral person actually does the same things that the depraved person of chapter 1 does. And you can almost hear the, the objection coming from Paul's readers, can't you? What are you talking about, Paul? I don't do what they do. I don't do the same things. I don't lie. I don't slander. I don't murder. I don't commit homosexuality. How can you say that I am just as guilty as them? Well, the answer to that is because at its core, sin is denying the truth about God. That's what we've seen in chapter 1. The sin of which the world is guilty is refusing to acknowledge God. Knowing the truth that there is a God but refusing to let him be God. And the sexual immorality and the gossip and the slander and the greed, they're all just, they're all just symptoms. They flow out of that denying the truth about God. But the disease, the root cause 
is a heart that is hard towards God. My friends, this is such an important truth. It's so vital that we understand this. Because what Paul's saying here is that you, as lovely as you are, and you are lovely, you are just as guilty as Erin Patterson, who allegedly poisoned her in-laws, just as guilty as Paul Tyson, who murdered his girlfriend, just as guilty as the Hamas militants who slaughtered innocent Israelis. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand this. There is a distinction between you and a convicted murderer. I'm not saying that we are equally wicked. It is completely untrue to say that all sins are equal. There are certainly sins that are worse, but you are equally guilty. Not because you have done just as many pervasive things, but because you equally have rejected God's authority. Friends, do you know what it is that makes the difference between you and a Hamas militant? Paul tells us in verse 4, the kindness of God. Verse 4, he says, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? In his kindness, God has not given you over to your sinful desires to the same extent that he has others. He has not let you slide as deep into that downward spiral of depravity that we talked about last week. And friends, you see how much this kills a boasting and kills that judgmental attitude that is so common in, in Christians. It is only because of the kindness of God that we are any different to them. Friends, that kindness that God showed to you, it was never meant to make you self-righteous or to make you start judging others. It was intended to bring you to repentance. And the fact that you are here and have repented is because of God's kindness. And so, friends, when, when we see the sin of them out there, when we notice the depravity that has gripped our society... Our response should never be to claim the moral high ground and shake our heads at them. Our response, first of all, should be to realize and remind ourselves that we are just like them. We are guilty of rejecting God. But secondly, we should examine ourselves to see that we might be guilty of the very same thing, even if to a lesser extent or expressed in a different way. And, and so, for example, uh, when we see the atrocities committed by Hamas in Israel. Now, we don't need to pretend it's not sin. It is not judgmental to call sin, sin. What Hamas did in Israel was wicked. It was evil. But bearing in mind that in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus holds anger up alongside murder. Are there ways in which we are guilty of the very same thing as Hamas? 
Are there ways in which we have murdered in our hearts? Are there ways in which our anger has torn apart someone that God loves? Friends, when we see the sin of the world, ask, are you guilty of the same sin? And if, if you are, repent. God's kindness, his patience, his forbearance is there to lead you to repent. And so do that. Now, there, there may not be, uh, you may not be guilty of the same sins that you see in others. You're not guilty of every sin that there is. And if that's the case, well, thank God that in his kindness, he has protected you from that. But friends, the message of Romans 2 is that just as much as God's judgment will come on them out there, it will come also on you. So don't condemn yourself by condemning others. Repent. And thank God for his kindness that has allowed you and led you to repent. Friends, God's judgment is coming on both the immoral and the moral. No one will escape. And so in verses 5 to 10, Paul goes on to show us what God's judgment will look like. He's still addressing the judgmental moral person. And he says in verse 5, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When the righteous judgment when his righteous judgment, rather, will be revealed. Now, that, that phrase, uh, storing up, it's, it's usually used to describe storing up treasure, valuable things, uh, storing up treasures in heaven, as Jesus says. But here, Paul says that the moral person who judges others is accumulating, not wealth, but wrath for themselves. They're making it worse for themselves because on the day of God's final judgment, verse 6, God will repay each person according to what they have done. God will judge the moral person who has condemned others and he will hold them to account. Now, uh, some Christians freak out at this idea of God repaying people according to what they have done. It sounds almost heretical because we, we here in church bang on about salvation being by grace alone, not by works. It's not by what you have done. You cannot inherit eternal life by being good enough. Now that is absolutely true. But here in verse 17, Paul says that it is to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, that God will give eternal life. Now that sounds very worksy, doesn't it? What is going on here? And the first thing for us to see is that this passage is all about judgment. It's not actually, first and foremost, about salvation. Paul is talking about judgment. And the whole Bible agrees that judgment is based on works. Friends, how does Jesus separate the sheep from the goats? Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did not do for the least of these brothers of mine, you did not do for me. You see, one of the traps that we easily fall into is that 
by being so committed to the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, which is a good and wonderful thing, but by being so committed to it, we actually treat works as if they don't matter at all. Now, have you ever heard another Christian say this? You can always say it's another Christian, not you, but have you ever heard uh, someone say something like, oh, it doesn't matter what we do, we're saved by grace. Now, that's absolutely right when it comes to speaking of salvation. Nothing you do will make you earn salvation. But don't for a second think that your works don't matter. I mean, does your love for your children mean that you don't care if they listen to you or not? I doubt it. Friends, our works matter. And our works matter particularly because they are the evidence of what is inside. They reveal it. They make it public. The works of an unbeliever reveal the secret in their heart that they are opposed to God. The works of a believer reveal the otherwise secret faith in the Lord Jesus that they have. Friends, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And our works, they flow, they grow from our love and trust in the Lord Jesus. And so by persistence in doing good, we're not, we're not seeking to impress God or earn his love. By persistence in doing good, we are seeking what only God can give us, glory, honour and immortality. Friends, God will judge each person according to what they have done. And so the question for you this morning is, what are you seeking? Are you self-seeking? Is your life consumed with self-serving activity? Do you find yourself getting angry when other people stop you from getting what you want? Do your friends or family ever accuse you of being self-absorbed? Because friends, if, if that is the fruit, it's likely that at the root is an idolatrous desire to be your own God rather than to bow your knee in submission before the God who made you. And so if that's you, friend, hear the warning of verse 8. For those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And friends, if what I've just said rubs you up the wrong way, if it irritates you, makes you uncomfortable, uh, friends, repent. <laughs> I'm not here to just make you uncomfortable for no reason. I want you to turn back to God. In his kindness and his patience, he is giving you a chance to repent. And so, friend, take that chance. Now, if that's not you, then hear the gracious promise of God here that those who seek him by pursuing, by persisting in doing good will be rewarded. God's judgment is coming on you and them. God will judge according to what we have done. It is a righteous judgment. 
Which means God will also judge us according to what we know. This is our third point. In verse 10, Paul outlines how both Jews and Gentiles experience God's judgment and God's salvation. Now, sorry, verse 9, he says, There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. And so then Paul goes on to explain how God's how God judges people, all people, but he judges them according to what they know. And so for the Jew who has God's law, their sin will be judged according to God's law. But for a Gentile, a non-Jew, who never received God's law, they will still be judged, but only against what they know. Which means God won't judge a non-Jewish person for failing to keep the Sabbath or for eating pork or for wearing mixed fabrics. But there's no way that a Gentile could possibly know that God wanted them to do or not do those things. And so they've done nothing wrong. They do not know the commandment, therefore they're not guilty of breaking it. But that doesn't get them off the hook. There are things they do know. And Paul says in verses 14 to 15 that when a Gentile does what is right, they prove that the righteous requirements of the law are written on their hearts. And that's because every human being is born with an innate sense of right and wrong. Every human being knows that it is wrong to lie and to steal and to hurt. They know that it's right to be patient and honest and generous. It's written on their hearts. Uh, maybe you think of it like uh, when you're parking your car. If you park your car on the side of a road and there are no, no parking signs, it would be unjust for you to get a fine under your windscreen for parking there. Without a clear sign, there is no way for you to know that you shouldn't park there. But even if you haven't read the road rules, you should know, and you do know, that you can't park your car inside someone else's house, to pick a stupid example. Uh, you, you can't plead ignorance in that situation. You can't drive your car into someone's living room and say, oh, there's no sign saying I couldn't do that. And so if you drive your car into someone else's living room, you deserve to cop the punishment. You should have, and indeed you did, know better. Now, Paul's going to have plenty more to say about the Jew and Gentile thing in the coming weeks. Uh, but for now, it's enough for us to see that God is fair. God is fair. He will judge both the immoral and the moral, both the right, religious and the irreligious, both the Jew and the Gentile. He will hold everyone to account, but he will hold them to account for what they know. That means God is fair to the child who lives in a jungle tribe and has never seen or heard of a Bible. But he will judge them according to the righteous requirement of the law that is written on their heart, their, their innate sense of what is right and wrong. But friends, for us here in this room, that's probably not our situation. In fact, if you're here in this room, then you know 
plenty and God will hold you to account for what you know. So don't ignore his judgment. Don't look at others to convince yourself that you're good enough. Don't look at the worst of sinners and go, oh, well, I'm pretty good. Yes, there may be people out there who are more depraved than you, more wicked. But friend, even you are guilty of rejecting God. So so don't look at others. Look at your own heart and friends. Repent. Turn to the one who turned away God's wrath by taking it upon himself. Turn to the one through whom God's righteousness was revealed. Receive the power of God which brings salvation both to the Jew and the Gentile. Amen.